Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our review of the book of Ephesians. We're going to begin with selected readings from that book in chapter 2, verse 4, as well as chapter 4, verse 1, and again at chapter 6, verse 10. Hi there, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Let's begin reading in chapter 2 and verse 4 for our first selected passage. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Continuing on with our next selected reading in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And for our last selected reading from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and then the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore. So then our selected readings for this special edition of uh, this episode of the review of the book of Ephesians actually are main ingredients in the three main divisions of the book. And uh, that makes it... Uh, hopefully, a little easier to grasp uh, that uh, an entire book of the New Testament can basically boil down to three points. Now, our formal outline has included our position in Christ in chapter 1, verses 3, through chapter 3, verse 21. But the key passage uh, includes what we read uh, at the beginning uh, of the episode by the fact that uh, we have been raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that begins a, a, a cue word or a, a clue 
to the entire section. We are seated with Christ. And uh, then chapter 4, verse 1 begins a, a, a second section, and uh, that will conclude uh, in chapter 6, verse 9, and that talks about our life in the world. And and it is characterized by that key word, walk. Uh, and it has to do with our behavior, our conduct, our lifestyle, the way we choose to live our lives. And uh, what are our priorities? What are our goals? What are our, our focuses? And uh, those things that, uh, that make up uh, the, uh, the character of our lives. And uh, so we, we uh, talk about that in terms of, of our walk. And then finally, in chapter 6, verse 10 through verse 20, is our third division, and that is our attitude to the enemy. And um, in that, we stand firm. And I have referred before, but uh, I'll uh, uh, remind you that uh, this main, these, these three main divisions uh, isn't necessarily original with me. They, uh, they actually were spurred on by, by others who came before me, and especially uh, a specific author by the name of Watchman Nee wrote a book about uh, the book of Ephesians that impacted my understanding of the framework of this book. And he used a, uh, um, uh, a, a, a phrase that uh, starts with those three main words I just referred to, and he used them all in the same uh, verb format, and he said, sit, walk, stand. And that was uh, his book, Sit, Walk, Stand. It was published by the Christian Literature Crusade of Fort Washington, Pennsylvania in 1973. And so uh, this has has formed in some ways the shape of way that uh, I believe that this this book unfolds. And um, so because of that, I uh, I not only think it as a novelty, it, it's actually uh, represents an insight of sit, walk, stand. Notice that, uh, as he says in this book, Watchman Nee does, um, that that the seated part comes first, the the walking part comes second, and uh, that, in many regards, uh, characterizes uh, how we should. Uh, um, learn about the Christian life first and and the gospel first uh, before we begin to conduct ourselves as Christians in some regards. Because otherwise, uh, what has happened in Christianity as a whole, it seems as though that uh, we have gotten those th- two, those first two things backwards, that we somehow think that living as a Christian is our main objective. And so we begin to mimic other Christians and live Christianly or live churchy or live those kinds of things that that we think make us Christian. And uh, we think that maybe even in some cases, some movements and some churches uh, actually teach that you should do so in order to earn salvation, that all of these religious works, all of this fine conduct and character and behavior and obedience that will uh, produce salvation, which in other words, that is completely opposite here in the book of Ephesians. He begins by saying, no, sit down first. Now, that, that isn't necessarily what he does say, but it is a uh, representative that, uh, that in order to begin to live the Christian life, you need to know who you are. This is our identity formulation here. And uh, that means that we need to know that part of our identity isn't 
just the fact that Jesus paid for our sins. And that is uh, most of us are very familiar with that Jesus uh, died on our behalf. He was our substitute. He paid the penalty for our sin. Now, some uh, who are not uh, born again uh, do not understand even that, and and uh, that is a simple message, and yet they resist that message and uh, never get beyond that. Some Christians never get beyond that because th- perhaps they've never been uh, schooled, or maybe maybe their their own sermons in their own churches do not uh, teach them these things uh, and go any deeper, and that's that's fine, except for the fact that that that's only the beginning, and the beginning is. Jesus died for me and rose again. But the next thing is that we need to know that we are seated. And we so if that means, as Watchman Nee says, you need to sit down first. Uh, that means that you need to apprehend and comprehend that the Holy Spirit has placed you into Christ. He has also lifted you, spiritually speaking, into the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You now have a union with him, and that is a union that's formed in heaven. You already have an address there. It's already prepared that you are in Christ and that changes everything. You see, if we are not clear about our identity, we will never be clear about our behavior. If we are not clear about who we are in Christ, we will not ever be clear about why in the world we conduct ourselves with this kind of character or this kind of religion or this kind of uh, focus, um, and we will always be confused. We need to know that Jesus died for our sins and rose again, but we also need to know that when we place our faith in him as our Savior, the Holy Spirit takes our spirit and reunites them with Christ so that we are in him, and by being in him, that changes everything. That means that we have an identity in him. And so it's, uh, first of all, it's regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. That's what being born again is. But then there is also the fact that we've been placed into Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 says this way, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. And so this whole idea of our position in Christ includes the fact now that we are members of a body. We have various functions in a body. We serve in a body. It's not just membership at a at a at a congregation, you may have church roles and you may be on that role. There's nothing wrong in doing that or having that, but you need to also know that the Bible teaches you that you are not just a member of a social organization called the church. You are a member as as the uh, the parts of a body, uh, fingers and toes and and uh, and a head and and eyes and ears and a mouth and and all the internal organs, all of those things are are representative of the fact that we are now a part of Christ's body on earth. We are in him in heaven, and he is in us, and he being in us forms his body on earth. That is why we call it a congregation, but uh, it is also why we call it a church. Now, this whole idea of church 
is very, very interesting, especially when we consider uh, the the actual term itself. Uh, the term is called ecclesia, and you may recognize that term uh, in the Greek from the fact that we have translated or transliterated that into the English uh, uh, language so that we call things ecclesiastical or ecclesi- uh, ecclesiology or uh, uh, that kind of thing. And that's where we get that term, uh, ecclesi- uh, ecclesiastic. And uh, so... Uh, this is the gathering of God's people. This is a called out gathering. That's what it means, called out to assemble together. In fact, the original term wasn't even a religious word at all, even though we associate the word church as being a very religious term. And yet the original Greek term uh, was used of uh, any number of assemblies, like a civic assembly or a town hall meeting. It was the same thing. And Paul borrowed that word to describe this thing that is now called, uh, in our common language, uh, as the the church and uh, and yet uh, this is something new this is what paul understood as something completely different than the old covenant that god laid out in uh, through moses uh, to the nation of israel and we'll get back to that covenant and the distinctions of what this means that is laid out even in the book of ephesians here um, about that new covenant and about our new relationship because we are now in Christ Jesus, and we'll be back right after this break. Ephesians and uh, our this review episode of uh, surveying the entire book all in one message and and we are talking about the fact that this this ecclesia is a new thing uh, and uh, it is revealed in chapter three verses four through twelve and in order to uh, find the context and find the details of what this means, let's, uh, let's go ahead and read that in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4 through 12. Again, this is, uh, again, part of the larger context of being seated in Christ Jesus, having this new relationship with the Messiah of Israel as now Gentiles, by faith in him, we are placed into him by the Holy Spirit of God, and he has been placed into us by the Holy Spirit of God. And because of that, we have a new dimension to our identity, our a new purpose in this new identity and new power in this identity. And uh, that identity comes from, from uh, Paul 
having received revelation from God about this new thing that is completely different than the national work that Moses began uh, and that God began through Moses uh, in the Old Covenant with the nation of Israel, with the people of Israel, with the tribes of Israel. Now we have a new thing, and Paul has been given a revelation about this new thing. And uh, let's get into that by reading the actual paragraph in which he uh, divulges this to us. Uh, And uh, with many of these readers, it may have been for the very first time. And with especially some of the Jewish audience, uh, the Jewish members of the the church in Ephesus, uh, then uh, this took on a whole new dimension that they hadn't counted on, perhaps, and was a real surprise. And yet Paul lays it out here in Ephesians chapter 4, I'm sorry, it's Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 4, and let's begin reading there. It says, By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Uh, The mystery of Christ there, by the way, isn't the fact that uh, this is hard to figure out. It's the fact that God didn't reveal this in its complete pattern or its complete picture in the Old Testament. He he sort of hinted at it from time to time, but uh, he, he held it back from completely divulging this whole entire uh, concept. And that's the reason why Paul refers to it as a mystery in of Christ. In verse 5 of chapter 3 of Ephesians, he continues on, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. Again, this is a new thing. Paul realizes this is a new thing. He's not necessarily the only one. Uh, that is kind of a disclaimer here, a a little bit of a a humble disclaimer in some regards, and yet he represents the the pattern of the fact that he knows that this was God's work in him, especially to reveal this particular truth that had been kept a mystery. And he says then in verse 6, to be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Messiah Jesus through the gospel. And I pronounce the uh, Hebrew word for Messiah there rather than the the uh, the uh, Greek or the English word uh, Christ Jesus uh, through the gospel. Verse 7, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. So Paul realizes his role. His role is one of being a revealer of these things. God revealed these things to him so that he could write them down and they become a part of our texture, our understanding, our perspective, our knowledge of Jesus, our knowledge of who he is, and our knowledge of who we are when we are in him. So then in verse 8, he continues on in Ephesians chapter 3, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. God is our creator, but he has, uh, he has revealed himself in lots of ways, including the prophets and the history and the uh, the scriptures of what we call the Old Testament. God has revealed those things, but he has held certain things back from that revelation. And now 
Paul realizes he's standing in the gap, so to speak. Paul is now uh, telling us and writing to us about what God has revealed about this mystery, this secret. Uh, And that secret is no longer a secret. It's not been a secret for the last 2,000 years or so. And, uh, And yet some of us uh, have never actually studied it and examined it and and uh, and taken it into our understanding and into our uh, lifestyle or our perspective or our identity. And uh, so it says then, and uh, this is this is something that God had planned from the beginning. Look at verse ten uh, of uh, again chapter three of Ephesians, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church. That's the ecclesia. You see, that's the gathering of the saints, you might call it, the assembly of believers in Christ uh, to the to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is a testimony to the unknown world, the unseen world of the angels and the demons. They are interested in this thing called uh, the church, not because it is a new organization, but because this is this is something new that they have been incorporated into the Messiah. They have been related into him in a special way directly by the Holy Spirit. Both Jewish people and Gentiles have been in now a part of this new organic structure that is still invisible in many regards, and yet it is real because the Holy Spirit is making it real because he's the one that is uh, uh, orchestrating it. It says, this was in accordance with the eternal purpose, which he carried out in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. We need to come to grips with this as our identity, our identity and our purpose as not only individuals, but as members of Christ's body, which is called the church this assembly of believers, we have been spiritually incorporated. This is not just like fellow members in a roster or uh, uh, sharing the same pew or sharing the same row of chairs with somebody else. This means we've been incorporated into Christ together into him. We've been seated in him, and he has taken up uh, residence in us through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he has incorporated us in a special way to be related to one another as members of that body, as members of that temple, as members of, uh, of his work on earth. So uh, then this takes on a whole new thing because this was something that wasn't revealed in the Old Covenant. Uh, You can go back to Daniel uh, chapter 9 and uh, especially verse 25 through through, uh, uh, 29 and you will find there that uh, Paul, uh, I'm sorry, that Daniel has been given a revelation of the timetable for the nation of Israel as it has uh, uh, become uh, dominated by the Gentile empires around her. And, uh, and that begins in chapter 9 of Daniel and verse uh, 25. Uh, let's read that, uh, if you can, uh, real quickly. In uh, Daniel chapter nine twenty-five. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. And these weeks are not day weeks. These are year weeks. That means we're talking not about seven weeks, 
days transpiring here uh, in each week. We're talking about seven years in each week, and that means this is a total of 69 weeks of years. That uh, that means 483 years that has been laid out for the nation of Israel, according to the angel revealing it to Daniel. Verse 26 of Daniel chapter 9, then after the uh, 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. That is exactly what happened. If Jesus is the Messiah, then by going to the cross, uh, he was cut off and he had nothing. He did not inherit the throne of David. He didn't inherit the kingdom of Israel. Not yet. Uh, he, he was the Messiah, but now he's, his career has been interrupted by his death. And, and yet that's the only thing that Daniel tells to his people is that the Messiah will be cut off. But uh, he continues on with the next thing, and that is, after the Messiah is cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Well, we know that the, that the people who destroyed the city and the sanctuary were the Roman uh, the Roman Empire. They destroyed the city of sanctuary uh, after Jesus was cut off, after he was crucified. That is the fulfillment of those activities that Daniel himself saw several hundred years before it, they ever transpired. And so uh, it continues on. It says, its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. Verse 27 of Daniel 9, it says, and he will make a firm covenant. He's not talking about the Messiah. He's talking about this future prince, the prince that comes from the people that destroyed the city and the sanctuary in 70 AD. And he says, and he will make this covenant for one week. That is a week of years. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to uh, sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until complete destruction. One that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So at no time in this timetable of the first 69 weeks of years, that is 483 years, and that last part, that last section of seven years, uh, there is a gap in that gap, we know for certain from Daniel, at least, and from the angel that uh, was talking to Daniel, that there were two events, the G that the Messiah was cut off and, and that uh, the city and the sanctuary was destroyed. Well, that is the mystery. That's where the mystery was placed. You see, it, it is as if God pushed the pause button for the nation of Israel in that plan for the, the uh, Roman domination of the nation of Israel, and he pushed a pause button in the meantime, now, he has raised up this new thing. It's called the body of Christ. It's called the church. We are now to walk in that. And that is where we come to in that second section. We need to know who we are first, and then that changes our behavior. That changes our conduct. We are not a national organization. We are the body of Christ. Well, that makes a difference in how we conduct ourselves as Jewish and Gentile believers in Messiah Jesus. Our conduct becomes different. Our social interactions become different. And that's in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That is our walk. And uh, it carries on through its application all the way through chapter 6, 
verse 9. And then in chapter 6 and verse 10, we find our stand against this invisible enemy who understands the spiritual purposes of this new mystery that God is revealing to believers now, Jewish and and Gentile believers alike that have been placed into heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now we make our stand against him, against this formidable foe, and yet we do so by the power of God. And that is in chapter 6 and verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore. So then... We need to know our identity. Our identity is in Christ. Our identity is because the Holy Spirit has reformulated our whole spiritual life. Not only do we go to heaven when we die, we already are there because we've been associated intimately with the Messiah King who is currently seated in the heavenly places and we are in him together in him. And then we gather together here on earth in him to enjoy him for the rest of our lives and the rest of eternity. Thank you, Father, for these words. We pray your blessings on them as we understand them more and more as they relate to who we are in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock.